Do you believe in miracles? Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning on some of Jesus' miracles, and we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000 today. And as you can see on the screen, the title for our message is Reaching 100 in 2016. Well, last week at our all-in leadership meeting, we prayerfully challenged each other and our entire church to a number. Yes, a number. And that number is 100. Yes, a number that uh, would be 100 people in Bible study at 9.30 on Sunday morning Bible classes during this year. Our goal is to have a hundred, not in worship, but in Bible study, which is a pretty big goal because we can get a hundred usually by the time Mother's Day or Father's Day or, or Christmas or Easter. And, and I, I don't like to dwell on numbers, but folks, we, need, we have got the best kept secret called Bible study at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. I am, I am so grateful for the class that I teach of young adults, and, and it is amazing to hear how each one of our Bible studies, they have support for one another, they have prayer for one another, they have events that they do together. The best kept secret in any church is the small groups. Now, I understand that Sunday school for some is a dirty word because it sounds like uh, something that was outdated centuries ago. But folks, there are new churches every day doing Sunday school, except they call it small group. Or they have it in somebody's home. Folks, when a group of people gather together to study God's Word. And so, this is a pretty lofty goal for us. But folks... This goal is one that God has given us and hopefully will motivate us beyond just doing this year what we did to get by last year. Folks, we always are either improving or dying, either in our lives, in our church, in our jobs. There is no just staying in one place. And this challenge, while it is great, it is not impossible. This challenge will benefit your spiritual walk as well. 100 means that we will have to pray more, we'll have to invite more, we'll have to support those who are teaching and take steps ourselves that might take us a little bit out of our comfort zone. A leader once said that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Well, folks, I'm tired of aiming at nothing. It's time for us to not exist as the church. The time is for us to be the church. Folks, imagine that our church is like a house that's on fire. Everyone sees the flames, and they call the fire department. Woo-hoo-hoo! The fire department shows up, and they arrive on scene. And the fire department gets off their trucks, and they sit around, and they look, and they go, Boy, that is a big fire. Let's get into a big circle and play the fire out. Let's join the other folks. There sure are some sweet people that go to that church. What a pity it's on fire. As a matter of fact, there are a bunch of churches just like it that are on fire too. You know, someone really ought to put some water on that church. I sure hope those who are inside the church will be saved. Someone ought to put the water on the fire. 
Folks, I'm telling you, we have to pray. We have to encourage one another. And I do believe that Homeland Park Baptist Church, I mean, I cannot tell you the number of people I've encountered in Anderson County that said at one point they were either baptized in that pool back there or they had been to this church. This church was once the church in the heyday. And I understand times have changed. But I don't know about you, but God has not changed. Our command has not changed. And although our community has changed, the needs of the people in that community have not changed. And if all we can do is sit around and point out the problems like an armchair quarterback, and we can say, boy, there is a fire, someone really ought to do something, we need to get on that, but we take no steps to do it, we're not being the church. We're simply existing. The point is this. God has given us the water and the hoses that will put out the fires of hell. What is it called? It is called the gospel. And it will only be effective when we share it in words, in deeds, in action, and most importantly, in compassion. Because you see, this goal that we are setting for this year, we're not going to be able to do it in our own strength. People say, oh, preacher, that's a good goal, but you know, I don't see it happening. With that kind of attitude, you won't. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm ready to, to move. I'm ready to do something that we can measure. I'm, re- I'm tired of us sitting around and talking about how bad it is, and let's do something about it. And if it, the worst thing that I can ask somebody to do is to get up a little earlier one Sunday and come to a Bible study, how does that work? I know somebody was like, well, preacher, I tried my class and I just didn't fit in. Or years ago, somebody said something to me that really made me mad and and I I, I just can't go into that class. Fine, let's start a new one. Let's start another class. I don't want to cancel or split what we've got. We've got rooms. We've We've got homes. We can start other classes. Do you want to see the church grow? Do you want to be a part of God's movement. Look, I can preach up here till I'm blue in the face. I mean, we had Don Wilton of First Baptist Spartanburg packed out the place. We had to bring in chairs from across the road and bring it in here. There was more people we'd ever seen in this church. But they were all folks from other churches. Had a grand pep rally. Then everybody left. Folks, The church is on fire. We need to act. And what prompts this? It's this miracle that I was studying. This very popular miracle. Because, see, the need for Christ is great in our world. The sickness of sin has left many empty. It has left them unfulfilled and hungry. And Jesus wants to teach the same lesson to us today that he taught the disciples. So we must look at our problems as opportunities for Jesus not only to meet our needs, but to go above and beyond our needs. Folks, Jesus is asking the impossible of you today. And he's asking the impossible of me today. And it's not just this goal that we've talked about. For any of us, if we have not grown in our spiritual walk, we are dying. 
If you are still doing the same routine and you have lost every sense of, of fellowship with God, but yet you're still going through the motions, you are dying. Folks, we have to take our relationship with the Lord seriously because there are people that are out there that are hungry. So the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it is important. Why is it important? Because of everything in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are only two things that are recorded in the Gospel, in all four Gospels. And one of those things is the feeding of the 5,000. It is significant. It is important. And we can learn from it. Not only is it in all four Gospels, did you know there's also a precedent for it? We call it kind of like a, a prophetic moment. In the Old Testament, in Second Kings chapter 4, Elisha told his servant to feed the people that were gathered there, and there was not enough food for the hundred men. So they said, how can we feed all of these people? In the end, with God's help, they all left with more than they could carry. This is God's call for all believers to love Him first and then love others as themselves. We must not stick our heads in the sand and ignore the great need that is around us. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. We see that serving God is a call to have compassion. Serving God is a call to have compassion. Starting with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him, all that they had done and taught. Boy, they were proud of themselves. Jesus, we've done this. We've done that. We've, we've been able to do all these things for you. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. You ever had days like that, where it's like 2 or 3 o'clock, and you think, Man, I had a little bit of breakfast. I didn't even eat lunch. For a big boy like me, that's a problem. Got to have them meals. But, but they had been so busy that they didn't even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land and all towns arrived ahead of them, recognized them, and people ran there. So it says in verse 34, So he stepped ashore. He saw a huge crowd and what he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. In this passage, the apostles had a clear understanding of their position. As an apostle, their position was to serve Christ. They were accountable to Christ and they were to promote His message. They were a representative of Jesus Christ. To see a disciple, to hear a disciple, is to have heard Jesus Himself. And more importantly, here's the blessing of that. Jesus trusted the disciples to do that. Where in Scripture ever do you see Jesus micromanaging His disciples? Do you see Him giving Him finite instructions so small, every little detail is taken care of? Does Jesus do that anywhere in the, in the Bible? No. He says, go, feed, heal, teach, pray. Very basic commands. But He does that because He loves them 
and he trusts them. Folks, if you serve God, I want you to know something very important from this passage. He loves you, not just for what you do for him, but who you are to him. He saw his disciples, and he saw that they were tired. He saw that they were weary, and he said, let's go get some rest. I know in in every church it's like this. There are some people that are here every time the doors are open. And I would say to you, just like I would say to myself, sometimes we need to take a break. Not for everyone. But if there becomes a time ever in your life where what you do for Christ becomes a replacement for who you are in Christ, you know what that's called? It's called religion. It's called works. And the Bible calls those things dead. We serve God not because of what we get from Him. We serve God because of who He is. And if you serve God today, if you are a child of God, whether you do a lot for Him or a little for Him, He loves you just the same. Jesus was concerned for His disciples' well-being. Jesus knew the disciples needed rest. One of Satan's greatest tools, and it's not just for preachers, it's for everybody. One of God, Satan's greatest tools is burnout. He knows if he can make you busy serving God for your own selfish needs, then you will come up empty. You heard the old saying, if, if Satan can't get you through temptation, he'll get you through making you busy. And I know some of you say, well, preacher, I'm retired. And, and I, when I talk to you, you say, you know, I was, I was less busy when I was working 40 hours a week. Some of you go into retirement and your, your engine doesn't even stay cool on your car. I mean, between, between doing your stuff and doing stuff for family and, and doctor's appointments, oh my goodness, the doctor's appointments. you got a full life. I understand that. But we all need times of reflection and rest. And compassion is only possible when our awareness to the needs of others become greater than our own. We will not be a compassionate Christian. We will not be a compassionate church until we start getting our feelings off of ourselves and on to other people. Because, folks, without compassion, we look as, as God's needy people. Instead of looking at them as sheep, we look at them as annoyances. Oh, here comes another one. Here comes somebody. I've seen them before. I don't have time for that. Not right now. Because when we focus on ourselves, we lose compassion for the very sheep God has given us. And every time we do that, every time we do not show compassion to someone, a little piece of our spiritual walk dies. And a little piece of our heart gets harder. Because these sheep, they scatter very quickly when they do not have a shepherd or someone to care for them. Folks, do you see the people God has placed in front of you as sheep? Or do you see them as annoyances? Because compassion causes us to share the gospel verbally, not just showing emotions. Folks, we can have a pep rally all day long in here. But unless we show compassion to others. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, preacher, I... I, I can't preach like you. I can't teach like my Bible study teacher. I can't, I'm, I'm not an out front person. I'm not asking you to be somebody you're not. 
But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, everyone in here, no matter the age, if you are a Christian, God has given you opportunities to share your faith, even if you don't know the verses. You know that Jesus loves you, you know that Jesus saved you, and you know that Jesus changed you. If you can say those things, you are sharing the gospel. Some of you, you are sharing the gospel by taking a casserole to somebody and saying, Jesus loves you. Some of you are serving God just by being here on Sunday morning and encouraging others. Some of you are sharing the gospel just by saying, hey, why don't you come to church this Sunday? I'm not expecting everybody here to be preachers, neither is Jesus. He has wired you specifically a certain way with certain gifts. Because if everybody had the same gift, our church would be lopsided. The body of Christ is many parts working together. Not everybody can be one of the most visible, loudest parts. But every part is impossible. I don't know about you, but I know some of you in here have probably uh, got a, a toe or two missing. And I've known people that have toes missing. It's harder to balance. Just call it a little toe. Folks, when one person is out of sync in their spiritual life in the church, it affects everyone else. The second thing we see is that true compassion leads to action. If we are truly compassionate, it's going to lead to action. Verses 35 through 38 put it this way. He says, when it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness and it's already late. Send them away so they could go into surrounding countrysides and villages to buy themselves something to eat. They were being so compassionate, weren't they? Look, there's not a lot of stuff around here. So it's like, if, have you ever had to go to like a, a convention or a meeting in a town that didn't have a whole lot of places to eat? Have you ever been somewhere where there's not a lot of restaurants? Maybe your family's going down the road and you turn on the wrong exit and you see a starving Marvin and then you can see what? Five hot dogs for a dollar right off the little turnstile that's there at the counter? Ugh. So there wasn't much. So they were being considered and compassionate. They like, Jesus, you know, if they stay around, they're going to go hungry. Tell them to go away. Go get something to eat. And we'll start tomorrow. That's not what, what Jesus agreed to, was it? As we read on, he says, yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's a fire that needs to be put out. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said, uh, excuse me? They said to him, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Basically, they said, so Jesus, you're telling me you want me to spend a half a year's wages on bread just to feed these people one meal? He was being literal. He was thinking about what he had. He took inventory of his life. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go look, Jesus said. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Well, we see here that Jesus always commands the impossible. When Jesus calls you to do something, it will always be something you cannot achieve on your own. I remember vividly the mission trip with college students in Richmond. We were feeding homeless people. There was one gallon of milk, and over 80 people had milk. If you've ever dealt with the homeless, you know that they can get milk. That's something that they treasure, something that we take for granted, something that we let spoil in our refrigerators. One jug of milk for over 80 people. 
it was the same miracle. My friends and I call it the miracle of the milk. One gallon of milk feeding 80 to 100 people. They just kept pouring. I still get chills thinking about it. God still asks us to do the impossible today. You may think that the need is too great. The disciples wanted to send the people away because they had yet to learn this very secret. To look at unbelievable challenges through Jesus' eyes instead of their own. Some of you, that doctor came back with that diagnosis that you did not want to hear. Some of you had this relationship fail that you did not want to fail. Some of you lost that job you didn't want to lose. Some of you got that news you didn't want to hear. And you say, how in the world can I make this? And now on the other side of that, it's been resolved and you see that he was with you every step of the way. Folks, when we have challenges in our lives, and I'm not preaching at you, I'm taking the same advice, folks, that when we have challenges in our lives, we have to look through Jesus' eyes not our own, because we will never be enough. We will never have enough. We will never be strong enough. If you remember in school, there was always a test that you had to study for. Folks, when you get out of school, there's still tests every day. And it's called life. And when it says 5,000 men were fed that day, I want you to understand it was not just the men. It was their family. Biblical scholars believe there was upwards to 20,000 people that needed to be fed that day. 20,000 people. I guess to say there is no way of God providing something is a sin. To say there is no way of providing something of God providing something, is a sin because we place ourselves above God and make an idol out of ourselves. How does that look? How does that work? When we say, God, you can never use me to do that. Who are you to tell God what he can and cannot do? Oh, I'm a preacher. I can't sing. Have you heard me sing? Now, some of you can. I understand. But that doesn't matter. If you have, if you're, if your talent is, is knitting or crocheting, you can make blankets for those that need to be warm. If your goal is, if you can play the trumpet, play the trumpet. If you have a gift with crafts, do crafts. If you have the, cook, the uh, gift to cook, by God, cook. Whatever it may be, whatever your gift is, do it for the glory of God, because the moment you say, ah, God won't do that, God will never do that, we're just stuck where we are, and we'll just have to live with what we got. The moment we do that, we are limiting God, and we are placing ourselves above God, and saying, God, you cannot handle it, we know better than you. That is a sin, that is making ourselves an idol, and God forbids it. There is no other God except me, is what God says, even if you try to make yourself your own God. Oh, preacher, come on. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It is. But we have a great way as Christians of justifying that. I'm just seeking the Lord's will. And I know He doesn't want me to do that. i got news for you. God laughs when we tell Him we know He doesn't. We know what He doesn't want us to do. I've made the mistake many times of saying, I'll never do that. I remember when I was younger, I thought, ah, 
I love youth ministry. I could never be a pastor. <laughs> Look at this. When I was younger, I thought, oh, I, I love teenagers, but I couldn't work with youth. That was funny until one summer I had to run a children's day camp. Never say you can never do something because you were placing yourself above God and limiting Him on what He wants to do in your life. What if the disciples would have said, Jesus, you're crazy. We can't do this. And what if Jesus would have said, yeah, you're right. Those people would have gone hungry. Those people would have thought Jesus was a fraud. But what did Jesus make them do? Jesus forces us, just like the disciples, to take inventory of what you have. Here's the beautiful thing of this passage. Is that whether we are well off or whether we just have a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, whatever you bring to the table, God will use and bless and multiply. When Jesus calls to you, he doesn't ask you to measure up to his standard before he will help you. Here's the thing. When God calls you, he calls you as you are and with what you have. How many times have I talked to people and said, well, I'll live for God when I, when I get my stuff together. I've just got a, a few more things, preacher, then I'll join the church. Or I've got a few more things and then I'll get baptized. Just, just let me get my stuff in order and then I'll, I'll do that thing you asked me about. And that time never comes. He knows what you have. And when He calls you, He wants you to bring it. Whether it's little or whether it's a lot. Because I had nothing of any significance as a high school student, a high school teenager. When He called me, first for salvation and then second for ministry. Little did I know the journey He would take me on. Little did I know how much He would bless me with. And he calls out to you today. There very well may be future pastors or teachers or missionaries or Christian businessmen and women, godly mothers and fathers right in this very room. There could be somebody in here that will change the world. Because I guarantee when I was in high school, I doubt very seriously someone thought, looked at me and thought, yeah, he's going to be a pastor. Matter of fact, Many of you in here today, some probably have in your life said, there's no way that person would be in church today. You're here. God is faithful. God is drawing you. And God will bless you. Do not place your faith in what you find. If they would have said, we just have a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and they wouldn't have trusted God, they would have gone hungry. Whatever little thing you have, trust God with that. I guess the question would be this. What do you have to serve God with today? Just like the disciples, he asks you, go look and see what you have. And that's what I would ask you today. Go look and see what you have. Maybe it's a voice. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a few dollars. Maybe it's some outdated clothes that you can donate. Maybe it's some spare time you can help somebody with something. Here's the thing. God paints Beautiful pictures on the canvas of our lives. Let me say that one more time. God paints beautiful pictures on the canvas of our lives, but every one of them are painted in red with His blood. He has paid the price for you and I to do beautiful things for Him. And then we see 
The third point, that showing compassion takes a team. Showing compassion takes a team. Verse 39 says, Then he instructed them all to have people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept them to his he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided two fish among them all. Every one ate and was filled. Then he picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. When God calls you to do something, whether it be to serve him, whether it be to love him, whether it be to accept him, there is a team. There is God, there is you, and most importantly, others to support you. You must be willing to take the step of faith. Others must be willing to help you and help others. And Jesus will give you the opportunities and the direction if you step out on that faith. Many of you might be thinking, well, but what about here? What about now? What about today? Folks, we know this from this passage. God can easily multiply what he wants. But the beautiful thing here is that Jesus will give you the blessing of helping others. Jesus could have easily said, Whoo! done this Ric Flair move, and then everybody gets food and, and bread and fish, and everybody's eating. He could, have, he, he could have just said, everybody rise and eat, and then boom, the food would have been there. How did he distribute the food? Jesus' hands blessed the food, but the disciples had the blessing of delivering it. As someone who has the blessing of delivering fish and bread, I know that whatever work is done, it is not because of my works, but it is because His hand is on that work. His hand will be on your lives as well. The only way that the disciples could feed those 5,000 men were this. You know what it is? Total dependence upon God. Folks, this goal of 100 in Bible study is a big goal for us. And it is going to take total dependence upon God. The disciples focused on the problem. Jesus focused on the potential. So, if you have a little God expectation, you will never be surprised and your faith will never be rewarded because you are not exercising it. Many of you have lost the splendor and the wonder of walking on faith because you haven't had to do it in a while. And your spiritual muscles are weak. We've got to get back into God's gym. In conclusion, I would say, reaching 100 starts with one. Reaching 100 starts with one. And you are the one. I am the one. And if, if you are leaving this morning with the thought that this entire sermon is a commercial to support some goal of having 100 people in Bible study, then you have missed the bigger picture. If you want God's blessings in your life, if you want God's blessings in this church, 
if you want to know the work of God in your life, it starts with you in your walk with God. We're going to have to have faith to place all that we have in the hands of Jesus to work with. But here's the passage that I love. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What little bit you have, give it to God to bless. Be obedient with what God has given you and be compassionate for those that are in need. You will come to a greater understanding of God and your spiritual walk will grow stronger if you say, I am the one. And let it start with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service today. We thank you for the miracle that you show us in the feeding of the 5,000, the Lord, we bring what we have, little or much. You are the one that blesses it. Then we receive the blessing of serving others. Lord, if all of this talk about having a goal of 100 in Bible study this year is just talk, then Lord, let it fall flat, dead. Because it's not about saying how good we are. But Lord, it's about having the goal, getting people excited, pushing towards something together that's bigger than ourselves and depending upon you for the results. It's going to take us stepping up in our faith, stepping up in our obedience, and stepping up in our trust to you. And Lord, if there's someone here that would say that I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and, and that I don't, I've never experienced the blessing of God taking what I have and using it to help others, you can know that today. You may very well be the product of the work someone else has done in your life. If you feel like the Lord is calling you to come to Him today as Savior and Lord, may you just come down front. I will pray with you. I will talk to you. That will begin the process of your discipleship, of knowing Him as your Savior and Lord. And there's nothing spiritual about walking down the aisle. If you're afraid to walk down the aisle, talk to me later. But don't miss the opportunity to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. For those that are Christians here that maybe have gone stale or stagnant, I pray that they leave here encouraged, hopeful, and cheerful. And for those that are given all they got and then some, I pray that you multiply their strength. You multiply their blessings, Lord. If someone would like to join this church or pray at the altar, it will be open. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?